Thank you so much. And can you join with me as loud as you can in welcoming all those people that are online? So those of you in the building and those of you online, I welcome you and I thank you for being here. And if you're online, stay for the entire sermon because you will be blessed. We're going to continue with this series, Who Is This Man? And we learned in the first two weeks that when they were amazed at his power, we should be amazed at his power and not be amazed at what Satan does. Because Satan, I said last week, cannot create. He can only duplicate. Do you guys know what tracing paper is? Yes. I had four of you, you went to school. <laughs> if you didn't know or if you weren't very artistic, you could take tracing paper and put it on top of it, and you could almost do the same thing. Well, that's what Satan uses, is tracing paper. God, through Jesus Christ, can do whatever God wants to do, right? Come on, let's give him a hand. So tonight... I've titled tonight's sermon, Where Are You Trying to Go? Where Are You Trying to Go? And we look at Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41, and here's what happens in the scriptures up on the large screens. That day when evening came, he, Jesus, said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. So Jesus was in the boat with the disciples. But there were also other boats with them. And a furious squall or storm came up, and the waves broke over into the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was at the stern of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. Jesus is in the boat, but he's asleep, even though the waves were splashing over the boat and getting him wet. And the disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we're going to drown? Jesus got up. He rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He then turns around and says to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? That was a rebuke from him. They were terrified, and they asked each other, who is this man that even the wind and the seas obey him? And we learned last week that when he multiplied five loaves of bread and two fish and fed over 5,000 men and not counting women and children, so over 10,000 people, that the disciples saw that Jesus has power, I didn't say had, has power over creation. He created everything. So in the, in the, at three in the morning, Remember, he was walking on the waves, and they thought he was a ghost, and they were afraid. And he rebuked them again because they had never seen anyone walk on the water. Well, if he multiplied loaves and fishes, he created the water. How many know he can do whatever he wants with the water? So he can walk on the water if he wants. But he said unto them, let us go over to the other side. Please say that with me. Let us go over to the other side. Now we're going to under, under, um, emphasize the second word. Let us go over to the other side. Come on. Let us go over to the other side. So I'm asking you, who was speaking? You, you guys can't read. Did you go to school? <laughs> who was speaking? Jesus. Who was he speaking to? The what did he say? 
Let us, let us, what does that mean? You and I, me and you, all of us, let us go over to the other side. That's important in this sermon. So now let's look at the other side. That's what I want you to focus on. Okay, he's gonna get real. With Jesus, there's always the other side. You think that where you're at, whether it's in a bad marriage or you're addicted to drugs or you're in debt or whatever's going on, you think there's only where you're at. With Jesus, there's always the other side. Okay, I want you to catch that. And if he wants to take you there, nothing is going to prevent you from reaching your destination. Did the disciples forget that? He said, let us go over to the other side. He even went in the boat and fell asleep. So it doesn't matter if he's rowing, holding the rudder, or sleeping. You're going to make it. Does somebody hear me tonight? You're going to make it. I am I'm amazed how slowly people put their trust in Jesus to assist them. We like to deal with technology, or we like to try it with whatever we can first. Then when we're all frustrated like the disciples were, don't you care if we drown? Then he says, why are you so terrified? Why are you so afraid? Where's your faith? Where is your faith? Because that's what he's going to ask you when you don't trust him. You can make sure it's Jesus in your boat. So here's my next question. Who's in your boat? Who is in your boat? And where are you going? If you're dabbling in a sinful lifestyle, if you're playing around in things that you did before you became a Christian, you've gone back to them, I can tell you this, Jesus is not in your boat. And when you crash, where were you going? Because that's the first thing they're going to ask you. What's the first thing the police ask you when you wreck your car? Where were you going in such a hurry? And what will you say? Hear me on this. Storms are going to come. Okay? It's just a part of life. It's just a part of life. It does not mean that God does not love you. It does not mean that God is angry with you or that he's paying you back for something you did. God is not toying with you. But storms do happen. Storms happen in my life. Storms happen when I least expect them. You heard me say this before. All it takes is a phone call. And then you're saying, oh my gosh, what? And the person with you in the room, who is it? Who? And you go, wait, wait because you're wanting to listen, right? Well, what happened? I'll tell you in a minute. Oh, no, are they okay? Who? But storms are going to happen. If you think, well, no, I have a positive man attitude and nothing bad is going to ever happen. Guess what? It's going to happen. Now, who knows what I'm talking about? Amen. Okay, good, good. You're with me so far. Sometimes the storms that happen in our lives, though, were self-made. You created the storm. Everybody go, me? <laughs> yeah, you. You created the storm. But many times it's just that storms happen. And trying to analyze what happened or assign blame to someone else or something else is a fruitless activity. Because if you have Jesus in your boat, whatever storm comes, you're going to get to the other side because he's with you. So now, here's what I want you to know. We looked at... It was Jesus saying, let us. Then we looked at who's in your boat. Now we're looking at the other side. Wherever you are at, wherever you are at, 
with God, there's always the other side. Because Jesus did not save you so he can leave you. He saved you so you can grow, so you can become of value to his kingdom, so you can become powerful for him, so you can start ministering to other people. Yes, you. But at the perfect time during the perfect storm, he exercises his power over the storms of life. God is never in a hurry. We are. And the reason he's never in a hurry is because he knows exactly what to do at exactly the right time. God does not go by our time. With God, believe this or not, there's no time. When you get to heaven, you're not going to say, man, how long have we been here? There's no time. And I know that's hard to comprehend. But in heaven, there's no time. Here we live by time. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, like that. We live by 12 p.m., 2 p.m., 1 a.m., 24 hours a week, a month, a year, a decade. We live by time, but with God, there is no time. So when you say to God, I need you to have that man ask me to marry him by this Friday or it's over between us, God. <laughs> God doesn't understand this Friday. How many understand me right now? So in other words, if there's no time with God, you can't put a limit on him. You and I can ask him for what we want, but you can't twist his arm. God is not a slot machine. And the more I do this, then the more he's going to respond. But at just the right time, not the right time as far as the disciples were concerned, but at just the right time, Jesus stood up and he calmed the storm. And they're watching this. First, he's asleep. He stands up. Now, I don't know how many of you, once you wake up, you just jump up and you're ready to go. In fact, you do 10 jumping jacks before you even go to the kitchen or the bathroom. No, it takes us a while, but he gets up. Now, the words that he used when he calmed this storm were the same words in the first sermon here in Mark chapter 1 when a demon-possessed man was in the synagogue, and he says, what have we to do with you, O Holy One of God? And Jesus said to him, be still. The same words that Jesus used here with the storm. Meaning, if it's the same word in the Greek, Jesus knew this was a demonic attempt of Satan to kill the disciples. And if he knew that, how come he was asleep? He's not worried. Satan doesn't bother Jesus, he bothers us, but he doesn't affect Jesus. So I'm saying to you, if he stood up and calmed the storm, don't worry, God is thinking of you. <laughs> and you know what else? He knows you, he understands you, and he knows your situation. Women, I know you wanna give every detail, you don't have to do it when you tell God. He already knows. Lord, I just want to let you know that I know that you already know. I'm joking. The next thing he says, and here's what I'm saying to you, be still. But it's another way of saying, me taking you by the hand and saying, there's no need for you to worry. We like to put pressure on others, like the doctor or the bank. We like to put pressure on them. Linda asked me to go to the bank and cash her check. And the teller was a young boy, 
<clears throat> younger, you know, everybody's young to me now, but he was young. And I put the check there in front of him, and I put my license. Did you hear me say I put my license there? And he looks at me and he says, do you have an account here, sir? If I catch you and you're not really thinking, you're just babbling, I'm going to play around with you. And so I go, first of all, the bank, the check says Bank of the West, bigger than life. And I go, oh, will you see those little numbers on the bottom? That's our account number. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, yes, sir, I'm aware of that. And, and at the check, Linda made it out to Mike Garcia. And so he goes, well, who's Mike Garcia? <laughs> Same thing. And I go, oh, we see that little card there? That's a license. You see my face there? And you see what it says at the top, Mike Garcia? That's me. And he goes, well, is this someone else's check? And I go, why would I bring another person's check to the bank to cash it? I was just about to say, can I see your manager, please? Bank of the West check. I'm at Bank of the West. Do you have an account here? I think I do if you look at that little number printed on the bottom of the check. And whose name is at the top of the check? Mike Garcia and Linda Garcia. And he goes, okay, sir. And I go, why are you asking me all these questions? In other words, buddy, you need to be still. You need to quit your worrying. We like to worry. We like to control situations. We're not supposed to worry. We're supposed to have faith. When things don't change, something happens inside of us and we want to worry more. God did not create you to worry. Worrying doesn't accomplish anything. Anything. Worrying doesn't help anyone. Some of you worry when you don't have anything to worry about. How many of you are worry warts? Point to them right now so we know who they are. <laughs> Jesus said, be still. It is interesting that this is the second time, as I said to you, when he did it in, in uh, Mark chapter 1. And the people respond in a similar way to the disciples. Who is this? So, when you have a situation and it becomes a crisis, that's when you're going to see Jesus' power. He waits till it becomes a crisis for you and I so he can show you his power. When you see the power of God and the problem is solved, let someone try and convince you that God's not real. Come on. You're not gonna tell me about Jesus. Is he even real? Oh, let me tell you what he did for me. You see what we're getting at? He will let your situation become a crisis so he can show you how powerful he is. That's what we're supposed to learn, how powerful God is. Not look at the situation, but how powerful our God is. Give my God a hand of praise tonight. Because throughout the Gospel of Mark, the disciples as well as others keep coming to new understandings of who Jesus is, and it's always in the context of some crisis. And this is true for us as well. We keep meeting Jesus in new ways as we meet him in new crisis. And people say, well, I thought you were a Christian. If you're a Christian, why do you have so many problems? You know why? Because I get to see the power of God. That's why 
But it's at, it's at that time that Satan tells you, uh-huh, uh-huh, where's your God? What happened? Well, you need to do this, you need to do that. No, I don't. Jesus said, what? Be still. Be still and you will see me move. It says that in Psalm 46.10, be still, and you will know that I am God. Be still. Hush. I get the face of my little grandson, and I hold his face in my, in my hands. I go, okay, 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 okay. Grandpa's got this. Relax. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing to you. Okay, okay, okay. We got it. We're in control. Take it easy. Where's your faith? Well, well, you, yeah, the wind's blowing. Where's your faith? Well, look at this, the waves. Where's your faith? Have I ever let you down? Well, no, and I'm not going to start now. God wants you to become aware of how powerful he really is, and that's a good place to clap, church. So this is what Peter meant when he said, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come, these trials, so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Can you see yourself walking into heaven and seeing Jesus and you have nothing to say, but I just glorify your holy name. You took care of me in everything I went through, Lord. And you know what? That's why you're in church tonight. So a minister can preach to you about what God wants to do for you because sometimes we tend to forget. Well, where's God? It's, that's why when you're talking to me at night, here, and I go, how can I help you? And you start to talk, and then I go, well, this is what you need to do. Well, I've already done that. And I, and I go, well, then you need to do this. Well, I've already done that too. Then I see we're not getting anywhere, and I go, what do you want? <laughs> what is it that you want? That's what I'm going to preach on next week about blind Bartimaeus. He was blind, and Jesus called him up, here comes a blind man, and Jesus said to the blind man, what do you want me to do? Well, I'm blind. He didn't say that. He said, I want to see. You see, he knew what he wanted. And so when Jesus asks you, or your pastor, I'm nowhere near Jesus, but sometimes I go, what do you want? Because I don't think you know. I want God to help me. Then let's pray, but you pray. Well, I don't know how to pray. Well, then that's what first thing we need to start to do. Here's what I'm going to ask you. Where is your Christian, where are you in your Christian experience? Watch this now. Where is it that you want to be? Where should you be by now? Where is it that you want to be? Is it the other side in your marriage? Or are you still squabbling and arguing and fighting? And Jesus said, let us go to the other side. Is it in your marriage? Is it the other side in your finances? You still haven't broken that debt cycle? And you know you need to get to the other side. Is it the other side in your addictions? I just can't stop. 
Well, then Jesus said, Let's go, let us go to the other side. What's the other side of your addictions? To be free from drugs. And, well, I haven't done this in a long time, but I just know I'm going to go back and do it. You need to get to the other side. Who's following me so far? Okay. Is it, is it the other side in your forgiveness? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I will never forgive that person. Really? Really? Is it the other side in your spiritual maturity? By now, you should be up here ministering or saying, can I share something? Or coming to church and being willing to pray for other people. Pastor, can I join you in praying for these people? Instead of skating out of here, we're not even done with the song and you're gone. Where's the other side for you? You see, I don't need to know because God already knows, but I just want to let you know this. I'm just as human as you are. When it's cold, I get cold. I say, well, what are you talking about? <laughs> when it's hot, I get hot. When the wind is blowing, I want to cover up. When somebody's trying to break in my house, fear comes over me. So I'm just like you. But Jesus wants you and I to get to the other side. In other words, you put your tent pegs in and you've been camping there a long time. It's time to pull up them tent pegs and move to where there's faith and not fear. Come on. <laughs> when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, you'll get up and move. And sometimes I'm excited. That's why Jesus lets us our situation become a crisis so that you don't get any credit or glory for changing the situation. He gets the glory. He changed the situation. And I'll tell you this, I do know this. I do know this. And I've told my team, I do know this. If you have a problem, hang on because God will solve the problem for you. It will change. It will get better. Come on, don't patty cake. It will get better. If you think that Christians are always supposed to be the poorest ones, the saddest ones, the sickest ones, the defeated ones, you're mistaken. Christians have the victory. We're not fighting for a victory. We're fighting from a victory. He already defeated the devil, sin, hell, and the grave. He just left us here to get our faith grown so we can help others. And don't tell me you don't know someone in your family that needs Jesus Christ. We all have that person. Oh, man, don't be witnessing to me. <laughs> you can't stop me. <laughs> because somebody hung in there for me. Come on, somebody hung in there for you. And you know what? This ain't a positive mental attitude seminar where, you know, if you become a Christian, all your problems are solved. No, if you become a Christian, you're going to have more problems. How many know what I'm talking about? All of us do. What happened to the kids? What's wrong with the kids? What's wrong with your wife? What's wrong with your husband? What's wrong with the dog? Now the neighbors are giving us problems. Now the pipes broke. Now it's winter and the heater won't work. What is going on? God will solve your problem, church. He will. Psalm 89 verse 9 says, you rule over the surging sea when its waves mount up. 
you steal them. Jesus admonishes his followers for giving into fear. That is to cowardice and timidity. The cure of fear is faith and trust in Jesus. They do well in turning to him. They fail, however, by letting their feeling of forsakenness by God take the upper hand. They said to Jesus, don't you care that we're all going to drown? What did they just see him do? They just saw him multiply the loaves and fishes. They just saw him walk on water. They saw what he could do, and they forgot. Now, I know none of you forget, because if you do, you can always go to Google, and it'll tell you what you did. But I will give you a little scolding. Do you know that we spend more time on Facebook and Twitter than we do in the Word of God? Do you know that our culture goes more to technology than they do to the Holy Spirit of God? If you talk to people who don't know Jesus, they go more with Google than they do with God. And guess what? That's why we're still here. So we could show them there is a God. They are therefore anxious and afraid that they might die. And Jesus rebuked literally ordered the wind and said to the waves, be silent, be muzzled, and remain so. This verb, be muzzled, was somewhat of a technical term for dispossessing a demon of its power and may suggest that Jesus recognized demon power behind the storm. He recognized it. We may not. And you know what I found out this week reading? That demons don't respond to the name of Jesus. They don't obey the name of Jesus. But what they do respond to is when you say, I come against you in the name and through the blood of, watch this, the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. Oh, I know who you are. How many of you, is there anyone here that has a relative named Jesus? One of you? Does anyone know someone named Jesus? Okay, there's a lot of people with the name Jesus, but Satan doesn't respond to the name Jesus, but he does respond to the name Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. When you say that, the demons tremble and they fear because they know exactly who you're talking about. So at his command, the wind stopped and the lake became completely calm. And then here was the final question. They said, who then is this man? And that's why we're doing this series, so you can know who is this man? Who is he? Demons listen to him. He does things that were never done before. He opened blind eyes. He unstopped deaf ears. He raised the dead. The storms rocked themselves to sleep at the word of his command. Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? The hearers or readers are left to consider this question in all that has been related or narrated about Jesus. Jesus rebuked his disciples for being afraid in a crisis. And despite Jesus' tutoring, it still had not dawned on them that God's authority and power were still present in Jesus. This is what he meant by he, his second question. Do you still have no faith? Do you still have no faith? Haven't I proven to you time and again 
You know, when we sing this song, he'll do it again and he'll do it again. How many times do I have to prove to you, Jesus says, that I'm still Jesus and I still have the power and I'm still gonna help you because I love you. And that is a question each of us need to answer in our trials and our problems. Do we still have faith? Hebrews 11, verse one and six says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And verse six, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So I said all that to say this to you. I study human nature for a living and I know there's people here tonight that you need to come to God so he can take you to the other side. And so when I give an altar call, I'm not gonna preach another sermon. I want you to get up and I want you to come to the altar because God already knows. I don't need to know what you're going through, but I don't want you to stay stuck in your suffering. Tell Jesus, take me to the other side of whatever situation, if it's addiction, if it's marital problems, if it's financial pressure, if it's health problems, come up here and tell Jesus, please take me to the other side with you and make sure he's in your boat. Come on, church. Well, you can stand. Sometimes we don't know what to say. We don't know how to say it. And actually, the only thing that comes out of our mouth is Jesus. It's like you can't sleep and you're having a nightmare, but you can't even scream. Nothing's coming out. But you say Jesus. And that's all that's required. Because when you say Jesus, the power of God surrounds you. The power of God is in your presence. The power of God is there for you. God, I can promise you this, God will never forsake you. you. Go ahead. You and I, you, you, you can't be bad enough for him to go, oh no, them again? You can't. You can't be gone long enough for him to say, what do they want? He doesn't do that. Once you call on the name of Jesus, he's there for you because he loves you, church. He loves you. So whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're facing, Pastor Mike doesn't need to know about it. It's between you and him. Just right now, just calmly bow your head and say, Jesus, Jesus, that name that's above all name, that name that sets me free. Heavenly Father, I know you see who's here at the altar, and I know you see who's there in the pews. I pray that you will hear them and that you will answer their prayer and you will deliver them from everything and anything that the devil has brought against them. Let them walk out of here with their faith stronger. And I thank you so much that they got up and they came to this altar. God, that just impresses me. And I see who they are. And my love goes out to you and my respect. And that's why I say, 
I don't need to know what you did. It's none of my business, but God knows. And I'll say this the third time I've said it now. He loves you. He loves you. Come on, church. He loves you. He loves you. Because you know what? Sometimes we felt like he doesn't want anything to do with me. He does. Learn this, though, tonight. Your situation, he may not respond at the situation. He may wait till it becomes a crisis. Because now you go, I got nowhere else to turn. He goes, now you're listening. <laughs> now you're going to pay attention. Father, I ask you to bless your people. Put an anointing on them. Let them sleep like they've never slept. Let them smile like they've just been born again. Let people look at them and say, what got into you? How come you're different today? Tomorrow, let them walk with a spring in their step. Let them walk. Let them walk with a smile on their face. And let them walk with a sparkle in their eye. Church, you impress me. I love you. Good night. And God bless you.